0: She finally got raided and, and, and brought in you know was getting sentenced for all this stuff that's exactly what the judge said she said you're a predator he said, you you say you have a drug problem but you weren't just selling dime bags you were selling ounces and you were having people do your dirty work for you yeah you may have been using but you were you were the problem and that's not gonna go unnoticed so whatever that was recommended she went beyond that for a first wow. felony first time I'd ever had felonies in my life right earned
1: me three years hey everybody welcome to episode 11 of conversations with me james shannon success after tragedy on this episode i talked to the host of the nowhere to go but a podcast sean dustin i say it that way because i said the name of his show wrong when we were recording the episode and i did it at least twice and i'm pretty mad at myself for that so just want to say sorry ahead of time sean dustin started experimenting with drugs at a very young age as he got older he started getting into a lifestyle that involved plenty of drugs parties strippers and a whole lot however sean shares how his party lifestyle caused him to lose his daughter and spend time in prison and today he is going to share his story about how he got involved in all of that and what he's up to now. So here is my conversation with Sean Dustin. Today's guest, Sean Dustin, is the host of the Nowhere But Up podcast. He was formerly incarcerated in prison for drug trafficking. Sean, thank you for agreeing to have this conversation with me today.
0: Well, thank you, James. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to add value to your show and, and to your listeners.
1: Awesome. Yeah, the, the pleasure is mine. Um, I want to learn more about all the great stuff that you're doing now, but can you tell me about your childhood?
0: Yeah, my childhood was uh, I grew up in a broken home, a single mother, which is you know, a lot of our stories, uh, mm-hmm. people in this world. My parents split up when I was five. I was a latchkey kid. You know, I didn't have a, I mean, it didn't start out that way, but because of some of the situations that i had put my mom in, you know, I was a bad kid. I got in a lot of trouble, got kicked out of preschools, got kicked out of schools. So, I mean, there was a lot of things that I put my mom through at a very young age. But the byproduct of that was I was a latchkey kid because she had to work. She, she worked in San Francisco. So she had to commute there uh, back and forth, which is like an hour, hour and a half each way if you, you know, depending on you know the way that she went. So I didn't have a lot of uh, supervision, didn't have a lot of structure growing up. So I just kind of carried that into my uh, adulthood. You know, when you're not being raised with a certain, you know, rules and structure and consequences, and I mean, even the consequences that I did have, there was never anybody there to enforce them, right? So I just kind of did what I wanted. And it carried into adulthood, got into a lot of uh, a lot of trouble as a, a juvenile child. I started using drugs very young.
1: If you started using drugs very young, how did you get introduced to it? What, what made you start doing drugs?
0: So the first time I tried marijuana, I found it in my mom's uh, drawer. Being a latchkey kid and she's never there, when she would put me on restriction or take away my Walkman or whatever, I would just go Ransack her stuff until I found my the item that (laughs) that she that she took away and hid from me. Right. Right. And in doing that, I found some marijuana and a and a bong, which I mean I I don't think she was using it, but it's like one of those things that maybe at one point in time she had and and it was just still there. Somehow I knew what to do with it, and I think that was because I saw the black charred bowl of it. So I figured, oh, that's what it looks like when you burn something. So you must burn it. And I figured out how to use it. And I tried it. And, you know, I lived on a a really steep hill. And I was a skateboarder at the time. And I could never ride straight down the hill without getting speed wobbles or getting scared and jumping off. After I took a couple of hits of this stuff, coughed my lungs out. I proceeded to go outside and I jumped on my skateboard and I rode straight down this hill, not falling, not stopping, all the way down to the bottom. Really? Yeah. From that point on, that showed me that this drug was like a made me Superman. I had lost all my fears, and it allowed me to do the things that that I hadn't done before. I didn't continue using that, but I mean, I you know, off and on as a, as a kid, I would you know, friends would be, hey, you want to smoke a joint? And I would, yeah, okay. And this was like third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. Wow. I didn't get into the harder stuff until I was probably freshman summer in high school. And that was only because all my friends were doing it. And I was still getting in tons of trouble, but all my friends were doing crank at the time, which is now methamphetamine, which is crystal, I believe now. And so, but none of them would let me have any. They wouldn't let me try it. They would, we would all be hanging out and they would disappear into a room, lock the door, and they'd be doing it. And I'd be stuck outside going, Hey, what are you guys doing? Hey, let me in. But none of them wanted to be the one to, because I was the youngest in the group, they didn't want to be the one to, Introduced me to that, right? Which didn't help me because it just made me want to try what they were doing even more. And so I found out what they were doing, and I had gotten somebody else, which was a a step family member who was a lot older than me that lived down the street from my house. And I had gone and hung out there because I knew that possibly I could find whatever it was that I was looking for, and I did. And uh, the person that gave it to me was probably 10 to 15 years my senior and uh, let me try it.
1: Do you believe that marijuana is a gateway drug to the harder stuff?
0: No, I believe that a person is either prone to addiction or they're not. Maybe I I doubt it. I mean, I was going to I was going to find that no matter what, because all my friends were doing it and no one would let me try it. So it made me want it even more.
1: Yeah, I agree. I know people that they smoke weed every single day and haven't tried any other drug. And then I know people that they smoked it and then they tried everything, the crack, cocaine, the heroin. The, it's the, the
0: individual, not the substance. Right.
1: Exactly. So here you go. You're, you're using these drugs at a very young age and you ended up selling drugs, right?
0: Yeah. At some point, I mean, I was always selling you know dime bags in the parking lot in the high school to support. My own habit, you know, what I mean, I'd hook up with somebody in the morning, they'd give me, you know, 10, 20 bags of weed, and I'd sell them throughout the day. Or, you know, if I did, I'd either come up with the money. And then I'd have my own if I wanted to make money, then I could sell the rest of it, or I could just smoke it. So, and I went through that for years. You know, I carried that into adulthood. And that was just kind of like my go to if I was doing the drug, I would find a way to sell it, to make it cheaper for me to do it.
1: Okay. I see. And we see these movies that they glamorized life in the drug business and how much money you can make in all the fun. I mean, it also highlights you know some of the, the bad stuff too, but can you tell me how it was for you?
0: Well, I was a horrible drug dealer. First <laughs> off, well, let me just get that out of the way. I was, you know, there was no, no cribs. There was no scrilla. There was no, uh, <laughs> none of that bling bling that, you see in rap videos or glamorized in movies for me it wasn't like that i had a lot of good times that's for sure but you know a lot of it was i was supplying myself with my own habits so whether i was selling cocaine ghb ecstasy mushrooms whatever i was selling at the time i was actually doing all right and so i was a break even at best drug dealer uh, the only reason why I didn't get beat up was because I had a lot of strippers that I was hanging out at the time and my house was full of these women and the drug dealers that I was getting my money from were hanging out. So they knew that if they anything happened to me, their fun was going to go away or their access to these women would go away. That makes
1: perfect sense. Yeah, I can see why they would be over there. So you ended up in prison, though. How, how did that happen?
0: So I went from, you know, I, I've been going in and out of institutions ever since I was a kid. I went to juvenile hall. I went to uh, the boys ranch, ended up going to a drug rehab uh, that was a group home at 16. Didn't get out of there until I was 18. Stayed good for a while, went to Sacramento, found the wrong crowd again, started selling cocaine, partying, really learning how to, to operate in this world. From the time I was, I think at one point I was going to clubs every Monday through Saturday or no, it's Tuesday through Sunday, Monday, they were all shut down. And I would either go sell at a a nightclub or I would go into the strip clubs if I didn't make any money at the nightclub and I would always make money there. And then I would always bring people back to my, my place and party and sell drugs there too. You know, just keep the party going, keep the, you know, keep the people that have the money and want the stuff going. So, I mean, I really, it was a lifestyle from Tuesday through Sunday. I was going hard. I took a day off. It's crazy. There came a point in time, you know, when I, I started messing with the wrong people and I had to make a choice. Uh, I got into funk with this one person that if, you know, we ran, in, ran across each other again, it was, you know, one of us wasn't going to walk away from it. Um, I was kind of a coward at, you know, at that point in my life, you know, I had gotten my stripper girlfriend pregnant. This was going on. And I was like, well, you know what, this is a good time for us to leave. You, know, you Leave Sacramento. I don't really have a job. You're a stripper. We can go to Vegas. You got plenty of work there, which means I don't have to work. It's great for me. Let's go.
1: yeah i mean yeah going to vegas yeah she can get a lot of work i I know some people that dance out there so yeah and so it was safer seemed like it was for you too right
0: yeah well i mean i didn't know anybody i didn't have to worry about money because you're paying my way which i I learned how to manipulate people at a very young age and so basically I, i looked at people as a means to the end that i needed instead of hey let me help you it was always about, no, 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 what can you do for me? Or how could I get the most out of you before I throw you away? Mm. Wow. Yeah. And so that ended up, you know, uh, translating into that. I did okay in Vegas for a little while, but we ended up, you know, uh, one of my old partners from Sacramento moved out there. And so once that happened, it kind of like, and I had a daughter as well, but that really didn't seem to matter because uh, I wasn't ready to have a kid. I was still addicted. I was still, you know, partying, doing all the the crazy stuff. And so she left me. There was a situation that happened that, you know, she was like, all right, well, I, I fucked up pretty big. And she was like, I'm done with you. And from that point on, she had my rights terminated. I didn't fight it because I was still partying. And I figured that my daughter would be better off without me anyways, because I'm just, just fuck up basically. But it was just an excuse for me to, you know, looking back on it when I, you know, look through my past, it was just an excuse for me to get out of responsibility. And I knew that I wasn't going to have to pay child support. So I was like, dude, when, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which was a horrible way to look at it because I spent six months grieving over it, drunken in in Phoenix before I came back to Vegas again. And then I, you know, when I came back from Phoenix, I hooked up with another stripper. I went to work at a strip club uh, in Vegas. I hooked up with another stripper who was on math and so I started again.
1: Wow. Yeah, it seemed like you love strippers, huh?
0: Yeah, well, they were easy. I used to always do this. Here, Here's a, a really fucked up saying, but when I would go out, I'm going, and people would, hey, where are you going? Uh, I'm going to the strip club to go to go trolling for bitches with low self-esteem.
1: <laughs> wow. But it's it's true. I mean, honestly, they're so easy to get at. It's nothing like there's no reason that you can't go get a it. Yeah, just go to the strip club.
0: Well, see, but the big, the problem was, is until you get that first one, it seems unattainable. True. So I learned how to, you know, after I got that first one, I was like, oh man, this shit's easy. <laughs> all you got to do is just be nice to them because a lot of the, they grow up in situations where people either have not been nice to them, have sexually abused them. You know what I mean? They're just broken people too. Not all of them. But I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to venture to say the 75 percent of them are there because of that. And then there's the 25 percent that are actually there that are hustling and are hustlers Mm -hmm. and will actually stay true to the statement that when you go to a strip club, you're going to get fucked, but you're not going to get laid. They're going to screw you out of your money and you're not going to get nothing. (laughs) Um, But anyways, so you know, I I went and was doing this for a while. And at some point I started selling meth and I was moving quite a bit of weight. I wasn't working, I wasn't doing anything. And I had a bunch of people that were working for me, doing smashing grabs, stealing, you know, stuff and coming back and bringing it to me and I would pay them. And and these were guys that were slamming drugs, uh, intravenous drug users, kind of skid row kind of people that will they didn't care how they got the how they got the drugs, just that they got them. And I exploited that when I actually finally got raided and and, and brought in, you know, was getting sentenced for all this stuff. That's exactly what the judge said. She said, "You're a predator." You like you you say you have a drug problem, but you weren't just selling dime bags. You were selling ounces, and you were having people do your dirty work for you. Yeah, you may have been using, but you were you were the problem. And that's not going to go unnoticed. So whatever that was recommended, she went beyond that for a first wow. felony. First time I'd ever had felonies in my life, right? Earned me three years. But I mean, there was a, there was tons of things that happened in between that. It wasn't all bad times. I had a lot of good times, but the byproducts of those good times were, I mean, I've almost died on overdoses three or four times, uh, almost died in accidents a couple of times. So, I mean, there was a lot of damage in the wake of my life. And that wasn't it. That, that wasn't it. I mean, when I got out of prison in 2004, it took me to 2000 or 2006. It took me to 2010 for me to finally realize that, hey, this isn't working. I had gotten some violations, uh, you know, almost caught some new charges. I mean, it was, it, it was a crazy time. I, I explained it to people like it was almost like I was possessed for 15 years. And then somehow the bad spirit just sort of went away.
1: It just disappeared. Like there wasn't anything that you did to get rid of this bad spirit.
0: Well, I mean, a lot of it was just being able to reflect on my, my behavior and, you know, disappointing the people that love me the most and treating them the worst.
1: Oh, that's tough.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it it was coming face to face with myself and having to accept the fact that I was a piece of shit. And then I, Was looking at things in the wrong way. And there are these people that care about me that want nothing but the best for me and have always seen the potential in me, but I would never, I would never look at it or listen to them. I always had some other agenda going on. Or if something happened, I would say, no, 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 it's because of you. It's your fault. You're the one that's keeping me down. You're the one that's, you know what I mean? So it's when I finally started pointing the fingers back at myself and going, okay, well, You're the common denominator. How do we fix this?
1: And how did you fix it?
0: Time. Well, it was time and distance away from the substance, which was a drug of choice, Mm -hmm. which was methamphetamine, which was something that I can't fuck with because it fucks with me. You know what I mean? That drug does me. It's not me doing it. Right. And getting enough distance away from that and away from the people that are involved in that and I had to start new things, new hobbies. So I started playing adult slow pitch softball, which sounds silly. That was getting me away from all of the, the bad people that I was around and putting me around a whole new, new different group of people, which allowed me to find kind of who I was. You know, not all the way, but a little bit. I was getting glimpses of who I could be. So I started doing things that would get me self-esteem in that area. So I, so I, I call them small victories, right? right. Which build self-esteem, which build confidence, which allow you to proceed to the next thing that you want to build on, which usually happens when you're a kid and you go through high school the, the normal way. And you, you know, you progress into college and, you know, you're playing sports, you're doing all this stuff. and and you're getting it that way. Well, I didn't, I didn't have any of that. So I had to find a way to create it for myself as an adult. And so it was through playing softball. And then from that, I was like, well, I don't like the way this league's being run. So I'm going to start my own league. And so I started my own softball league in my own city. Oh, wow. From there I'm like, okay, well, if I can do this, then I'm going to start running tournaments And I started doing that, became a tournament director, started running these tournaments and getting all these teams in, making money off of that, which I in turn had my own team that I've sponsored that we went to Vegas and played in Vegas and did all this other stuff. And so it was all these small little victories that kept showing me that, okay, well, if you can do this, then let's try this. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And I stopped looking back. And all the things that I was accumulating, like from my union, you know, now I'm starting to grow as a union member. I'm making good money. My risks that I was would take uh, started falling in line with what I had. Before, I would take risks because I didn't have anything to lose, right? Right, right. If I go to jail, well, I didn't have anything to begin with. So, I mean, that's probably uh, that's probably okay. Because at least I'll have a place to stay, some food to eat, be able to kick it, play spades, do whatever, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a deterrent. So once I started accumulating things and started living life right, all of a sudden my credit score score started growing. I went from having like four hundred to five hundred credit score up to you know within ten years I had an eight hundred things now that I've accumulated through work and, you know, earning things. And so now my risk versus reward is on, is on the opposite spectrum. So I'm not going to risk going and getting high because I have this much to lose over here, daughter, this, you know, I have a daughter now who's three years old. It's just my priorities changed. And it was all from building my self esteem and confidence through doing these other things, you know, that allowed me to, I ran for a business agent. I was, you know, on the rowing team through my union for like the last five years this year, pr- maybe not because of the COVID thing. And, you know, the season starts in uh, August. So I don't know if mm-hmm. we're going to be able to, how all that's going to work out. But I mean, it was all of these things that were allowing me to see what my potential
1: was. I remember when I got it at a job at 18, it was I didn't have anything to want to be free for It it even came to a point where I enjoyed it. I enjoyed making the spread, playing space, playing dominoes, getting up. It was just like it became part of my life. Even the food started getting good until I got out and I found reasons to stay free and be there for my kids. So I love that that you found something like that too. I wanna talk about your podcast, uh Nowhere but Up, which by the way great name. Why did you create the podcast and what can listeners get from it?
0: Well it's Nowhere to Go But Up. That's the name of the show. And it was basically it got started because of my own story. I felt like I had something to offer people. you know I, I wanted to reach formerly incarcerated people in the onset of it and, and you know give them somewhere to listen to other stories from people that may be in the same situation. because to me podcasting is is amazing. all right. I didn't have this when I was a kid. If I would have had access to all of these different people, uh, you know, conversations that I could be a fly on the wall of to amazing people. Man, I mean, we had Tony Robbins, but I mean, you had to buy tapes, right? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't accessible for free. If I would have had that, man, I don't, who knows what the, how, how different things may have turned out. But since I didn't, I wanted to bring this to, to people now. It just kind of, you know, you, you have a podcast. So, I mean, it starts out if it's one thing and then it kind of creates a life of its own. Mm-hmm. You know, it morphs into different things, you know, it went from, uh, you know, my, my show is it has a lot of episodes about people with uh, bottoms, life struggles and how they got through it. You know, in between that is things that interest me. So, I mean, it's part of my personality from I'm interested in kiteboarding and learning how to do that. So I'll probably document my my journey into that at some point. People that are interesting to me, life coaches. So like things that I struggle with. I'll bring coaches on so I can talk about my issues and maybe how I can work through them. You know, right. that's kind of how it goes for my show since COVID. I got 37 episodes, but I, I have 40 in the bank right now because I've had a lot of interviews lined up from the last, you know, six weeks. Probably, I would say 15 to 16 a week for the last six weeks.
1: That's awesome because the uh, coronavirus, I've seen a lot of people, they jumped into the podcasting world and they joined us in having these shows. And I think it's great. I, I love podcasting. I love that getting a lot of new listeners, a lot of people that are getting into the, uh, into the space. It's really cool.
0: There's room for everybody because everybody has their yeah. own story. Everybody has their own thing that they're bringing to their show.
1: You know, every day somebody's born, that means every day there's a new story that's waiting to be told. So podcasting is one of the best platforms to tell your story. So... What's next for Sean Dustin? What What do you see is going to happen in your future? You You're done with drug life in the past, and now you're you know you have a, a better life. What's next?
0: Well, I would love to say that I want to be rich and and, and become famous and a and a Joe Rogan podcaster, <laughs> but we all know that that's not usually uh, how things work, right? So for me, I'm just trying to find a way. Cause I got, I mean, I started late, right? 34, 35. I'm an apprentice in, in, you know, my trade. I've been in it for 13 years now. I've got 20. I'm, I'm gonna say I got a good 20 years left before I can actually retire with 30 years and a full pension. My body's not going to last that long. Construction is a, uh, is a young man's game. And I've I've worn my body down quite a bit from sports to drugs to you know what you name it. Uh, I've been hard on it, and I and I have a, a toddler right. I got a three year old. So what I'm really really trying to do is you know either I get in as a business agent in my local, which will take me out of the field and still give me a good income and be in the area that I that I like cuz I'm am I'm a huge supporter of unions and a, as a way and a means for ex-offenders to be gainfully employed because your past doesn't matter. Your felonies don't matter in construction. They don't care. I mean if they if they did then half I would say 80% of construction workers would be out of work. <laughs> you know. And if that route doesn't work, I'm going the podcasting route and really I don't want to be rich I just want to be able to create enough space and time for me to be the best father that I can. I love that. You know what I mean? And that's, and that takes time, right? Right. You know, my, my days right now, when I am working three to four hours of it spent just in commute. And then you add the eight hours. I mean, that's 12 hours, you know, that we're looking at a day to to try to support my family, you know, my daughter and myself and, and my life. That doesn't leave a whole lot of time to be a parent, right? Especially if no. you're a co-parent. So my goal is to create something that will allow me to get paid and give me the time to be present in my daughter's life. Because there was that daughter that's still out there that I didn't do that for. Right?
1: Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you about her. Are you in contact with her? or Do you know? Her?
0: I'm friends with her on uh, Instagram. But I mean, I'm not a, by any means, we don't have a a relationship. I haven't seen her since she was 18 months old. I don't really have any right to interject myself into her life and say, hey, I'm your dad. Uh, So it's really, I've left it in her court, you know, and at some point, hopefully she reaches out to me and says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm interested in knowing a little bit more about you. Or maybe she's, you know, seen some of my posts on Instagram and has followed my podcast. And she can learn a whole lot about me just from listening to my episodes.
1: I'm glad that you are able to admit that because when you said that you left, you know, you left her or whatever. I was like, wow, I wonder how it is now. So thanks for sharing that. I know that's a, it has to be tough to have a daughter out there and not have the relationship that you probably want.
0: Well, that's why I'm super vigilant about the one that I do have a relationship with mm-hmm. to make up for how I did the other one wrong, you know? Right. And so, you know, I mean, that's really, that's really what it comes down to. Because family and, and how I raise this human being to engage with the world, right? right? That's the only responsibility or opportunity that we get to kind of help the future is by how we raise our children. yeah. Because that's where it starts. And if everybody would take that approach to their children now... And I think, you know, this COVID thing has really forced people to take a look at their parenting because they're forced to be with everyone's been forced to be with their people for weeks now. Mm -hmm. And you can get an idea of how shitty of a parent you've been in the past. And how you kind of just let the school system take care of your children while you take a back seat. Well, that's kind of that's kind of out the door now because you're forced to be involved in your children's lives, their school, homeschooling. All of that stuff has been happening the last, you know, six weeks, seven weeks.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of a shame. A lot of people were mad that they lost their their daytime babysitters. Like, no, that's still your kid.
0: And that's the only way we're going to fix this. Yeah, that's the only way we're going to fix this society is by being very present in our kids' lives and taking that power back that we've given to the schools to raise them and start raising them yourself. Thank you. You know what I mean? So. Here's something that I, I really live by, and, I, and it's because of a meme that I saw. And it says, don't give your kids the, the life that you wish you would have had. Teach your kid the things that you wish you would have known.
1: Mm, that's powerful. I like that.
0: You know what I mean? Because there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of things that I go, oh, man, if I would have only known.
1: I, I do that all the time. If I can just go back and teach myself some things. or you know, But now, like you said, I teach those things to my kids, things that I wish I would have knew.
0: Yeah, don't worry about the shiny things that you wish you would have had. Oh, I wish I would have had a dirt bike when I was growing up. Oh, I wish I would have had this. I wish I would have had these shoes. You know what I mean? Screw all that. I mean, they can get all that stuff when they get older. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, put your kids in cheap shoes and cardboard in the inser- inserts in the soles because you don't <laughs> want to buy them any new stuff. But don't spoil them with material things because it's not teaching them anything.
1: Right, right. Uh, Sean, well, can you give any advice to anyone that just got out of jail and they're feeling like the world is against them and they can't achieve any success?
0: Take a look at yourself first in all of your problems in all of your situations. If you keep having problems in, in an area in your life, go to the common denominator. And that's usually you. Right. right. Something that you're not doing, something that you are doing. Start with yourself and then branch out from there. Find a podcast, find something that you can listen to that aligns with where you want to go and listen to it and follow the advice, you know. And so, for me, it was Rogan, and that, that was after I, I'd finished all this other crap that I had gone through, right? Because after the drugs, I realized that I still have a lot of problems, right? Because the drugs were just a, a symptom of something else that was another problem within myself and so don't give up find a support system around you uh, put good people around you you know here's a really important thing that people forget and it's very true you're the average of the five people you spend the most time around you ever heard that one yes i have
1: and it's true
0: it's true so if you want to be somewhere in life right? Put yourself around the people that are already there. So professional athletes, they don't get good by always playing people that are that they're better than, right? Mm-hmm. You have to go and challenge yourself by putting yourself around people that are better than you to up your game. And that's the same thing you have to do with in life and with people that you're around. If you want to be somewhere or be somebody, find the people you want to be the most like and surround yourself with those kind of people.
1: Yes, yes. I love it.
0: That's the the quickest way to do it because those behaviors that you're having, they'll either be spotted out by these people or you'll spot them out yourself and and shed them very quickly because it doesn't align with the group that you're with now. Going out and, and doing drugs doesn't align with these other successful people. Yeah, they may do some sort of drugs, but hopefully that makes sense.
1: It makes perfect sense. Sean, I want to be mindful for your time, but I do have one last question for you. Are you happy?
0: You know, for the most part, I have to say yes. I mean, yeah, there are some things that I wish that I could. I mean, I still struggle with, but like anything that we struggle with, just look at your problems as like like a child. Right. When a child learns how to walk, they fall down quite a bit before they learn how to actually walk. Right. Mm hmm. Well, it's the same thing with problems that you find and in, in, that you see in your life, uh, whether it's drugs, whether it's overeating, whether it's weight, whether it's, you know, you name it. If it's an issue that you're having, the first step is just admit, admitting that you have the issue and then consciously making an effort to try to change that. And at some point, You may fall a few times, you may relapse a few times, you know, and hopefully you're not using heroin because that's the hardest thing to come back from. I mean, you can't, people that are heroin addicts or opiate addicts, uh, sometimes they don't come back from those, but it's, it's the same thing, man. As long as you're consciously working on trying to change that, the time in between your slips will start to decrease, right? Or increase to the point to where at some point you'll just stop. Because you'll either have gotten tired of disappointing yourself and everybody else around you, or you'll have just figured it out. I hope that makes sense. It's, it made sense in my head. <laughs>
1: uh, it, made, it made sense in my head when I heard it, so I think it made sense.
0: But yeah, other than that, I mean, you know, I, I am happy. I have direction now. I know exactly where I want to go. I have goals, you know, short-term and long-term. And so the short ones, I keep checking off the list and making sure that it, I'm still aligned with my long-term goals. And at some point I'll be there.
1: Yeah, awesome. It seemed like you're still having those small victories and you're going to continue having them. And that is great. If people wanted to learn more about you or just to hear you, find you, where can it go?
0: My podcast is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. I'm on all major platforms. The easiest way for you to find me and I'll give you a link. So my link tree is there. All of my social media is there, my emails there, my merchandise pages there. If you think that you're somebody that you know has a story that you think other people should hear, you can sign up to be a guest, and I'll take a look at what you have to say. And if you, I think you fit my show, I'll I'll have you on as a guest.
1: All right, and I will leave the links and everything in the show notes. And Sean, I want to thank you again so much for sharing your story and being able to come on the show and share it with the world. I appreciate you.
0: I appreciate what you're doing as well, man. I mean, we need more people that are like you and me that are telling the people, you know, stories that most of the time, you know, a, a long time ago, you couldn't get these stories unless you were in AA, NA, you know, in the rooms of recovery because that's where people felt the most comfortable to tell these kind of stories. Mm-hmm. And that's not true anymore. Now, podcasts like my mine and yours, you know, and there's a there's a ton of them out there. That are doing the same thing. Being a human is a messy thing, man. Uh, We don't come with with an owner's manual. We don't come with a user's manual. If we're not taught the right way as children, uh, at some point, we're going to be forced to try to figure it out for ourselves. And so that's really what this podcast for me has been about to kind of eliminate some of the steps for other people, if you so choose to. And some people, you're just going to have to go through it. I mean, it's just kind of how it goes
1: yeah and like you said I, I didn't hear these stories ever you know except for when i was sending it in joseph and people telling their stories you know the war stories the things that they've been through but other than that you didn't hear this anywhere
0: Nope, well, for sure
1: i right, appreciate it we take care all right you too man wow sean thank you again for sharing your story um i'm happy that you are trying to be the best at it possible now and i wish you the best going forward If you want to learn more about Sean, check out his podcast, Nowhere to Go But Up. Sean also started a Facebook group named After His Show. You can find him, me, and over 350 people interacting in his group. I want to thank you for listening to episode 11 of Conversations with James Shannon. I hope everyone is being safe right now. And please listen to the people that love you, people that care about you, and people that want the best for you. I will talk to you all next week. Take care. I'm out.